Welcome to the Creekwood Church Podcast. Summer is in full swing and there's so much going on at our church. Be sure to check the events section of our website or the Creekwood Church app to stay connected this summer. We hope this message inspires and encourages your faith. Enjoy. Okay, but, but here we go this morning. Today, the title of my message is The Greatest of All Time. And so um, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but have you ever gotten to these kind of arguments about who the GOAT is regarding a sports? Like, like maybe, uh, have you ever had the debate whether it's, is it Jack Nicholas or Tiger Woods? Tiger. Tiger? Okay, if it's Tiger, let me see your hands. Okay, if it's, if it's Nick, let me see. Or Jack, excuse me. Okay, okay. All right, how about this one, this one. Jordan versus LeBron. Well, I knew this was my church. I knew this was my church. Okay. Any LeBron people? That's right. Okay. All right. Okay. How about Serena Williams or Serena Williams? <laughs> but, but for all my non-sports fans, this is, this is important. This is the make or break. Let me tell you. Is it In-N-Out or Whataburger? Uh, you know they sold out, right? Like, you know, they're not, the uh, group in Chicago owns them now. Y'all don't care. Okay, never mind. It's like, uh, y'all go look it up later. I'm sorry. That's, some of your minds are going to be boom, blown. But, but the reality is, is I think that God has placed on the inside of every one of us a desire to be great. And I think sometimes that desire gets pushed down. We face defeats in our life. We've had setbacks. We've had different emotional uh, issues that maybe we've shied away from greatness. But down on the inside of us is this God-given desire to be great. Like, we want to be great. But I think where we've gotten mixed up is that we've allowed our culture and our society to define what greatness is. And so we've gotten mixed up. We, 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 we elevate certain people and certain statuses within our society as being great. But today, I want to lay a theological foundation of what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Be looking at verses 35 through 37. Mark chapter 10. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. I just want to pause for a minute. Has anybody in here ever beat up on the younger generation and said, they're just an entitled generation? You ever heard that? You ever said that? Isn't that something like, I'm guilty that, man, this generation's just so entitled. They want what they want, and they want it now. And I thought for a minute, you know what? There's nothing new under the sun. I mean, this has been happening since day one. This is part of the fall. And the truth is, I think most of us are probably pretty entitled in this room. Like, you want the what you want, and you want it now, the way you want it. There's an there's a entitlement mentality. So Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? He asked, they replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in glory. Now, I just want to kind of wrap our minds around this. Here are two of the disciples 
that have been walking with Jesus and their expectation is that he is the Messiah who has come to overthrow the Roman Empire and that, they, that somehow that he's going to establish a new earthly kingdom, although he's been walking with them and talking with them and showing them that the kingdom that he's bringing is not the kingdom of this world, that his kingdom is going to look different. But yet the default was still to go to Jesus and say, hey, I want to be at your right hand and your left hand. Like Jesus, I want to be great here on this earth. I want to be great. Jesus, can we, can we be great with you? Like, I think some of us, we want to be great in society's eyes. We don't want to be great in the way of our culture. It's a struggle. And it was a struggle for them. But here's what happened. Another 10 overheard what James and John said. And in verse 41, it says this. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. I tell you, when I first read this as a kid, like I was like, "Man, those other ten, they got it. They knew right from wrong. It was James and John that had gotten off base, and the ten came. And they couldn't believe that they would want to be rulers on this earth, that they'd want high positions, and so they were trying to set them straight. But now that I've gotten a little older. I think the truth is that they were mad that James and John beat them to it. You know what I'm talking about? Like, 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 hey, wait a minute. I wanted what you got to them before me. You set yourself up. I wanted to ask first. I don't think they're that innocent. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what he's saying to us today. Like, look, I know that the culture today paints a picture of greatness. I know our society says you should look a certain way, have certain things, be in a certain position to be great, and that there's a, there's a draw to want to lord things over us. Like, like, we want people to do for us rather than do for others. Like, we want people to come and meet our needs rather than meet the needs of others. But this is what Jesus says, not so with you. Like, we should look a little different. Christ's way is diametrically opposed to this world's way. He turns it all upside down. To be great in the kingdom looks different than what the world tells us greatness should look like. And so if we're going to be great, the first thing is that God's greatest puts service over status. God's greatest puts service over status. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4 says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Boy, isn't that hard? 
Like, I think if we're honest in here, I mean, how much do we look for ours? I want to take care of me and mine. Like, it's gonna, I'm, I'm looking out for number one first, and then I'll see if there's anything less for others. But I'm going to make sure that I'm taken care of first. We put ourselves and our own needs above the needs of others. You know, in the spirit of 1776, I'm reminded of what historians have said about George Washington, our first president. You know, at the time, they, they thought that, that George Washington would, would establish a rulership, that he would even appoint himself as king. And, and so there was this full expectation that, that, that he would not just be a, a, a term president, but that he would be the new king of the country. And it says, and historians say that whenever King George found out that he was not going to assume the kingship over the country, that he said this, he said, if he truly resigns from taking that kingship, he'll be the greatest man in the world. Because let me tell you something. To relinquish power for the good of others is an uncommon thing. I mean, doesn't that speak to us? When we see people lay down power to serve somebody else, doesn't, that, doesn't something on the inside of you say, man, that's good. There's something right about that. There's something right about Mother Teresa going to Calcutta and, and laying her life down for, for the hurting. Something in you says, man, that is right and that is good. And we have a Savior in King Jesus that not only relinquished a title, but he picked up a towel. Not only did he relinquish a title, but he picked up a towel. You know, the, the great story of Jesus, whenever he arrives to the dinner party with his disciples, and he walks in, and they're, and they're gathering around, and he looks at their feet, and he sees these dirty feet. And as he, as he sees this, this lowly task, he could have just said, hey, we need some servants in here. Someone forgot to wash the feet. Like, like he could have been, I mean, he's the ruler of the universe. He could have said, I need some angels in here. I need someone, like I'm on a mission. I don't have time to stop and wash feet. Like I got things to do. I got places to go. I got a universe to save. I need someone else to get down and get lowly on this task. I don't have time for this. I mean, it's like me when I come home and I see dishes piled up. I tell my wife, look, I'm on it. No, I'm just kidding. Well, you know, I, I get to work, okay? <laughs> but is that task too lowly? But not for Jesus. So Jesus takes up the towel and he meets this very basic need. He gets down. He humbles himself. And this is what he says in verse 13 regarding this action. I mean, John chapter 13, verses 14 through 15, he says this. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I don't know if, this ever happens to you, but I mean, don't you know that there's a lot of people that just like 
man, Jesus is great. He was a great moral teacher. Like Jesus did a lot of cool stuff. Isn't that cool that he would go and wash the disciples' shoes, the disciples' feet? Man, good for Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy. I like Jesus. Jesus is great. He's the savior. He's the ruler. That's all good stuff. How many of you know it's easier to acknowledge the goodness of Jesus than to obey the commands of Jesus? And this is what he says. Go and do as I have done. Go and do as I have done. Like, man, how many of you want the blessing of God on your life? Like, I want God's blessing on my life. I want God's blessing on my marriage. I want God's blessing on my family. I want God's blessing in my life. And this is what he says in verse 17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. There's a, there's a contingency to the blessing of God. And let me tell you, I'm, I, I'm a faith alone by, by, by Christ alone. It's only God. Nothing in me is of any value. I, I'm, I am filthy. He is glorious. He has saved me. I was dead. Now I'm alive. So I'm not saying that we merit salvation. But what I'm saying is there's a contingency to the blessing. He says, you will be blessed if you do them. Like, I love blessing my kids. Like, I just, I love it. Friday night, movie night at my house, that's what we do as a family. And you know what I do? I get brownies, I get cookies, I get ice cream. I, look, I get, I get queso and chips. I get pizza. Y'all, I'm just getting warmed up. I'm telling you, I got a spread. I got every kind of food that's not good for you. And like, we're about to get down with the movie on. It's family night. I love it. I want to bless my kids. But I also tell them they got to clean their room before they come out and get some of this goodness. I mean, it's going to be heartburn for me, but it's going to be blessing for them. Or you know what? Let's, let's take it off the table. Let's just get practical. I'm like, you got to wash your hands before you come get some of this. Like, have you seen what kids do with their hands? I want to bless them but it's contingent and God wants to bless us. He wants to bless you. If you'll do as I've done for them. Secondly, to be greatest in the kingdom of God, God's greatest puts character over convenience. God's greatest puts character over over convenience and wonderful passage of scripture we should all be familiar with. Um, I want to read it out of the message translation. And uh, it's Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. It says, there, once, there was once a man traveling from Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. But when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite, religious man, showed up. 
he also avoided the injured man. Let me just pause right there. Has anybody else ever guilty of this? Like that you angle yourself away from the problems of others? Like you find yourself avoiding the needy, like you'll walk on the other side of the sidewalk to stay away from the problems of someone. I mean, like you do not want to get near it. I mean, I don't, I'm just confession time. There's been times when I'm at the office and I'm about to walk out to the restroom and I see a certain person, I'll turn around. I'll go back, I'll hold it before I'll go and deal with those problems. You ever find yourself angling away from the world's issues? Avoiding the problems of others. I, uh, I got to tell y'all an embarrassing story. Look, y'all don't tell anybody else this or we're not going to be friends anymore. This stays between you and I and everybody online. <laughs> so... I get, I'm, I'm about to get, I'm about to leave work. And I don't know if you're like me, but I'm excited to get home. I'm ready to leave work. And, and just this week I was, I was getting in the truck and I was about to leave. And let me tell you, uh, I work at DBU and, and I, our parking lot has like no trees in it. And this was the day that I forgot to put the sun visor up. You know, that's a bad decision when it's summertime in Texas, but I got no visor up. I get in my truck, man, it is hot in my truck. And I'm like, man, I just want to get home. I know I got to fight through some traffic. Like, come on, let's go. So I jump in the car and I'm I mean, my AC is not even blowing cold yet, but I am driving as fast as I can to try to get home and I'm going down the road and all of a sudden, boom, my truck dies. I don't know if that sounded made. That's the best I could do. Okay. All right. So the truck dies and I'm like, are you kidding me? I look down and ding, 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 ding. I ran out of gas. You know, that hadn't happened to me since I was like 16. Y'all quit judging. Okay. I was prepared, not really. Okay. But anyways, as I'm on the side of the road, all of a sudden, let me tell you, everybody's trying to get home. No one wants to be inconvenienced. I put my four-way flashers on. That means SLS, right? And then what's supposed to mean? Like, I need help. That's four-way flashers. You know, no one cared. They just, whoom, whoom. people just went flying right past me. It's hot in my truck. Did I tell you all that? I got no gas. I'm sweating. I'm in my work clothes. Somebody help me. I start calling people. Ain't nobody answering the phone but the heathens. <laughs> and then, as these cars are driving by, I knew some of these people too. <laughs> they drove right past me. All of a sudden, I don't know if y'all know William Grider, but William Grider, he goes to church here. He serves on the, on the tech team. He works with me at DBU. And, and let me tell you, William Grider, comes driving by. I'm so excited. And you know what William does? He just keeps on driving. <laughs> William, you need to repent, my friend. You need Jesus. He drove right on by until he got to the next exit. And then he turned back around. Even though he's got a young family, past five o'clock at that point. He had places to go, had a hundred excuses. Desi surely got a cell phone. Ain't my problem. Should have gassed up. But he turned, someone said amen. <laughs> he turns around and he comes back to check on me. 
Let's give William a round of applause. He's actually right here today. But when we look at the Good Samaritan, it says that a Samaritan traveling the road came on him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. Have you ever heard seeing is believing? And it's one thing to have theology at 30,000 feet. And it's another thing to have theology face to face. When you walk up into the hurting, it'll move your heart. And all of a sudden, everything that you needed to do, it just goes dim. And you realize that you need to meet the needs of those around you. There's something when we stop angling. You know, I saw a lot of people angle their cars away from mine. When we stop avoiding and we see, it says that his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you back on my way back. What do you think? Which of the three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religious scholar responded. Jesus said, A plus, have a good day. See you next week. Hey, good job. You get a star. Jesus said, check mark, you pass. That's not what he said. He said, go and do the same. Go and do the same. Listen, I know we're busy. And I know we got a lot going on. But when we see a need, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. He said, there's two views that we can have. The first is, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? I'll be late. I'll be inconvenienced. I'll fill in the blank. The second view is this. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? What will happen to him? Number three, God's greatest puts we over me. Acts chapter two, verses 44 through 45 says this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who has need. Let me tell you something. There's something powerful when you stop and you go out of your way to help somebody. I mean, that's powerful. That's a powerful witness. But there's something 
even more powerful when the body of Christ stops what they're doing and says it's not just an individual going out, but the bride of Christ is going to come together and we're going to step outside of the four walls of the church and we're going to go meet the needs of the community. Now it's not about making your name great or my name great. It's not about feeling good about ourselves, but it's about saying we're going to be the bride. We're going to go out and be a witness to the world. And and I'm just telling you that today in our generation, in the state of our world, let me tell you, the church already, so many in the world know what the church is against. It's time for the world to know what the church is for. And at Creekwood, we're for people. We're going to go and we're going to be a witness. We're going to be light. We're going to be salt. We're going to go and serve together corporately as a body of believers, the bride of Christ. So unapologetically, I'm telling you, next Sunday, we're going to come together and we're going to be a witness of the body of Christ, showing the world what we're for. I want to close with this. God's greatest puts worship over ritual. God's greatest puts worship over ritual. So I just want to tell you, like, I love music. Like, it, it moves me. When we come in here and worship is going, I'm one of those guys, like, let me tell you, I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to clap my hands. I'm going to lift uh, a joyful noise. I'm not going to call it singing. It's not. It's a joyful noise, okay, to the Lord. And I mean, I may get down on my knees. And I mean, I am moved whenever we come together and we worship. And it's, it's powerful. But let me tell you something. If your worship is contained to Sunday mornings, lifting up your hands in worship, but it never leaves the four walls of the church, all you have is a ritual. All you have is a ritual. You have a motion that you go through with no heart change. There's not actually anything going on that's any different on Monday if, 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 unless you say, okay, God, I'm really going to, to surrender my will to your will. I'm going to go and do, not just hear and receive. You know, Pastor Stephen last week just did an incredible job talking about the importance and the power of worship and music in the church, and it was incredible. Go back and listen to it, and I say yes and amen to that. But there's something powerful when worship spills outside the walls and it goes into the community and it may not look like singing and hands raising but let me tell you just as much as God delights in the sound of your voice and the raising of your hands that happens in the corporate setting of worship he delights in what's going to take place next Sunday I'm going to prove it to you look at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 through 16. Therefore, let us, through Jesus, a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaim our allegiance to his name, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. 
These are the sacrifices that please God. Let me tell you something. When we come to God and we give him worship and praise in there, his heart is joyful. But when we leave next week, these four walls, and we go and we meet the lowly task of whatever that looks like. I don't know if it's mowing a yard, if it's laying a brick. I don't know what it's going to look like. But it's going to please God. God's going to look at you and smile. See, this is worship that I am pleased with. Be the church. And I know, like, I'm already coming up with reasons why I shouldn't go next week. Like, my own yard needs to be mowed. I'm sure I'm going to eat some chicken that's going to make me feel bad. (laughs) You know, all the excuses we can come up with. I already have plans. Just going to go to the pool. (laughs) It's my day off. just what a testimony to the world I'm I'm standing up here you know one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Paul talks about being the chief of sinners because look I I don't have it figured out but I know next week despite my faults and failures that we can go and be a witness to the world of what we're for Let's pray. God, I just come before you today. God, I want to please you, God. Lord, you found a, a wretch in me. Someone who's so unworthy. And you plucked me out of darkness and you brought me into your marvelous light. And I don't want to put my light in a hidden place. I don't want to keep my light to myself. God, I want to be great. But I want to be great in your eyes, God. Because that's all that matters. And I want your blessing. I want your blessing on my family. I know what it's like to not have your blessing. God, would you be with our church? Right now, I believe, Holy Spirit, you're doing something in the hearts of the hearers. Change is taking place. Hardened hearts are being softened. People that have gotten burned. willing to take a chance again. So God, would you take our humbling, humble offering, our lives, would you use it for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you like the content of this podcast, you're going to love our YouTube channel. Subscribe at youtube.com slash creekwoodchurch for video messages and full services uploaded weekly.